Live from Moss Espa, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Welcome to episode 128 of Derailed Trains of Thoughts. My name is Timothy Deal. My name is Nick Hayden. And this is your premier podcast on storytelling. For the creator and the consumer. We are coming to you from Tatooine. Again? Yeah, podcast. What's the deal? Why do we keep going to Tatooine? I, I mean, I guess it's been a while. It's been, be it has been a while. And uh, there's a lot, actually, to be fair, there's a lot more to explore here than just the local cantina. There's a, there's a lot of things going on Tatooine. There is. Looks like there's some weird biker gang from Coruscant has showed up for that, some reason. Yeah, that's a little bright. Yeah, that is a bit bright. Their hover bikes don't seem to go quite as fast as I would have expected. I think they're hover scooters. Hover scooters. Yes. You're probably right. Or hover golf carts. The Vespa. <laughs> for all you Luca fans out there. Luca? Oh, oh, that's right. I still haven't seen that. Oh, come on now. The I, Vespa. Okay. I, okay. I need to see that yes. at some point, but... Hello, folks. We are coming to you from a very dusty planet. We got our fatigues on. Uh, I have sand in places I didn't know I had. Yes. I want to make a sand joke here, but I can't do it. (laughs) Too late for that, I guess. Yes. How was your spring break, Nick? My spring break was great. We went uh, with the family for a few days to St. Louis, see the arts, went to the City Museum, which you had uh, tantalized me with several years ago, and I had to go to. <laughs> I, went, I went there on my epic road trip back in 2019, so I was I was happy to hear you guys went there and enjoyed it, because I knew it's perfect for kids that it are is. your age. Well, my... Or, uh, or I should say, kids that are your kids' age. Oh, my age, too. That Your age, too, yeah. Um, it's the only museum I know of that sells knee pads at the gift store. Yeah, that could make sense. When I went there, it was summer, and I was wearing shorts, and I think they got, I don't remember, I think they got a little ripped while I was there, just crawling around in all the jungle gyms that yep. are everywhere. But everywhere. Pretty much. But yeah, my, my niece says I need to take her at some point, so we'll probably head back there at some point, so... That's cool. For the, anyone who doesn't know, it's, it's a place where they just have caves and jungle gyms and all kinds of things to explore, a whole hallway of arcade machines, or not like, arcade, like pinball machines. Yeah, several, several story slides. There's slides everywhere. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's just like, basically, I guess just artists come in, just do cool things for you to explore, Interact walk with. on, walk underneath. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. super cool. Uh, fortunately, they don't have one of those here in Tatooine, although I kind of feel like that might be a bit more dangerous than in St. Louis. Yeah, I would think. I don't think they have all the barriers and whatever here. Yeah, They probably make it not. out like uh, bones, like great dragon bones and stuff like that. And Most likely. Yeah. So, oh, you don't have a spring break. Sorry. No, I don't have a spring break. <laughs> I'm not a teacher. So, but... I can appreciate it for on behalf of those that you do. And I was thankful that you were able to get some work done on a certain project, which we will talk about at the end of this episode. Dum, bum, bum. Mm, the story so, project. No. The, not, not the story project. <laughs> no. Oh, man. Someday. Um, but we'll tantalize you with that before we go on into our story school. So there are certain topics for story school that we always know we'll get to at some points. Just sometimes wait till the right time. Or something like, like, oh yeah, I was going to talk about that. And this is a really good catalyst. Yeah, something in pop culture will happen that will inspire it. 
For example, way back in episode 10, wow, this was back in 2011, we talked about heroes. Yes. And one of the things we said at the beginning is like, well, okay, we're not going to talk about anti-heroes yet. We'll get to that someday. Um, <laughs> this is that day. This is the day we're finally getting around to talking about anti-heroes. So, uh, Nick, why don't you give us just a quick definition of what the classic understanding of, of what an anti-hero is? Oh, I was going to have you do that because I'm always <laughs> a little vague on it sometimes. But okay, here's I'm, my attempt. I'm the host. Okay. So so My attempt, it. it's a protagonist who really doesn't have the normal attitude of a hero and really doesn't want to be a hero. I guess I don't actually know sometimes. It's kind of vague with me. It is kind of a vague because term. People use it in various ways. Like mm-hmm. sometimes it's the, sometimes it's a bad guy from another movie becomes the protagonist. Like Loki, okay. you know, in some ways. Uh-huh. Suddenly he doesn't really want to be a hero. He just wants a glorious purpose. And then he becomes the protagonist, but he has a lot of flaws. A lot of flaws you would not normally find in a hero. Sure, sure. Is that how you define it, or will you define it different? I, th- I think it has been used in those terms. I'll talk a little bit about what's inspired. I said something inspired yeah. this this topic and why I thought this is a good time to talk about this. And kind of a theory I have about at least a certain type of anti-hero, or about the term anti-hero, perhaps. So this pop culture thing that inspired this was the book of Boba Fett's, which which is not a book, which is not a book, and There's only half no, about Boba Fett. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It's a TV series from Disney Plus. I don't know why they call it the book of Boba Fett. It, <laughs> it sounds cool, I yeah, guess. It does sound cool. Yeah, Boba Fett. For those who don't know, is wait, who, wait, wait, what? Does someone not know who Boba Fett is? There's some we nominal had a, Star I, Wars I, fans. I, I own a statue of Boba Fett. I mean, I had to introduce my wife to the Star Wars movies. Yeah. So, you know. I know. But you owned people. Boba Fett for a time. Yes. he was. She knows who Boba Fett is because he was here before she moved in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. But he, he's the infamous uh, bounty hunter that captured, well, helped bring Han Solo and get frozen and then brought him to Jabba the Hutt's and the Carbon original. Carbon Frozen, yeah. Yeah. Carbon Freeze from the original uh, original trilogy of the Star Wars movies. Although he's infamous despite the fact that he really only has like three or four lines. Mm-hmm. In, I think they're all in Empire Strikes Back. I don't think he has any lines in Return of the Jedi. Uh, pr- I think you're right. Yeah, I think he just... He just looked cool, and he, Well, and he screams when falling into the scarlet. Well, star okay. like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, that's the thing. I mean, I think his... Historically, I think his action figure came out before Empire Strikes Back did. The movie actually okay, did. yeah. So you had all these kids like, oh, wow, this, this armor looks so super cool. I bet this guy is awesome. And he kind of is. But personally, as someone who wasn't around and... 1979. Yeah. I always thought Boba Fett was a little overrated. <laughs> I know there's some people who loved him from books that came out after the fact, blah, 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 blah. But I think, I think it's just his look that got me. He's just, he yeah. just looks cool. Yeah. But he's, he's one of these guys that he, he worked for the Empire, but he's an independent guy. And so there's all this mystique built up around him. So when they finally did a TV series on him, some people were actually a little disappointed in the fact that he is, they had established this in Mandalorian they, that he was interested in. He had basically taken over the territory formerly run by Jabba the Hutt. Yep. But in this series, they kind of revealed that he is looking to kind of civilize that area of Tatooine. Yeah. He wants to run it, but in a different crime way. By respect instead of by fear like yeah. Jabba would. And there were some people that had mixed feelings about this. I saw some article opinion pieces saying like, oh, you've taken this like cool, you know, BA yeah. hero or anti-hero 
and try to make him all soft and this is boring and this is why it's, I think it's a bad idea and all this kind of stuff. And I am doubtful that's the problem. Uh, there, there's a lot I enjoyed about the Book of Boba Fett yeah. series, but I would say the main problem that series is not what they did with Boba Fett, but how they did I, it. Yeah, we, I mean, we've talked about this off air, but that there's a there's some structural. I don't know, problems, but weirdness. The motivation least. felt a little off. Like, yeah. we were like, how? I mean, again, we didn't know a lot. What, what you could infer about Boba Fett was that he was kind of ruthless as a bounty hunter. He was willing to work for the Empire. Yeah. That's really about it, honestly. That <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. That From was, the movies, that's it. Yeah. yeah that, and that was all that was canon, since the books aren't canon with, since yeah. Disney has changed all that. So it was not very clear from why. I mean, they, they did kind of, you could kind of read certain things. That, okay, he, he hung out with these Tuscan Raiders for a while, kind yeah. of gave him a different. He was reborn after Sarlacc Pit, basically. He had yeah. a coming to enlightenment sort of but journey. It, it was a little clunky. I mean, it was a little clunky and a little backloaded. Or like they explained it too late. Yeah. It, or they gave, it to, gave words to it too late. They gave words to it too late. They were sort of hinting that's the direction. But I mean, part of it, to be fair, is it's probably hard to get into the philosophy of Tuscan Raiders when their language is like squeaks and or squeals grunts. and grunts. Mm, and, yeah. Rah, 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 you know, you know, yeah. Um, that kind of stuff. Utini. At least the Jawas use words. <laughs> the Jawas, I know. Yeah. At least they use words. Um, but the idea of Boba Fett being that is not bad because that's what they did with the Mandalorian. Yeah. Like the Mandalorian TV show was basically, let's take a character that is pretty much cut in the same, from the same cloth as Boba Fett. He's a bounty hunter. He, he's kind of ruthless. He mm -hmm. will mysterious. just do what he needs to, but he just does what he needs to get by. I like can, I can bring you in warm or I can bring you in cold. Yeah. Um, but then basically softens when he develops this very strong familial attachment to this child. Yeah. AKA baby Yoda, AKA Grogu. Mm -hmm. Um, so they've already they've done this sort of story before. There's no reason why they couldn't have done it with Boba Fett. And sometimes I kind of think they they leaned into his mysteriousness too long, and that's why it created this problem. So anyway, that all that to say, kind of birthed this theory, and that is this: that the idea of an antihero is something of a misnomer because an audience really can't accept an antihero unless he takes on some heroic traits. I would agree with that because or, I, I would agree with that theoretically. So let's keep. <laughs> so yes, let's let's explore the theory and, and see how much is, there is to it. Because I think the appeal of some of the antihero stuff is that they're just slightly rebellious. They're mm -hmm. they're outside the government. They they don't want to be a hero because they're like either they act like they're too cool or they're they have selfish motives or something han solo in some ways so, you could say starts as an yeah. anti-hero and so, then, some versions wolverine some depends. versions of wolverine yeah the some version lone, of batman probably yeah. some yeah sometimes batman they're the lone wolf they're um and they'll do what they need to get done but what's always interesting is that a lot of times is they use wrong methods but they get justice done so we like we like justice we want yeah yeah. I mean, we talked in the villains episode. I mean, if you're going to go go straight into villainy, part of what we like about villains is there's usually something good about them. Yeah. Like they have good motives. They're just going about it the wrong way. Or even, you know, if they're powerful, there's like, well, there's a fair reason why we, you know, admire power. I yeah. mean, we serve a very powerful God mm -hmm. if you're a Christian. So I think that's the same thing holds true with anti-heroes, quote unquote. And usually pretty much any story that has anti-heroes as protagonists or someone who's fuzzy on certain law things yeah. 
they have to make them identifiable. Likeable in some way. Acceptable, yes, likable to the audience somehow. But otherwise, I mean, you probably watch movies sometimes where you're just like, I hate this guy. Why are we following so-and-so? Mm. He's someone who's just a jerk He's and just a jerk. kind of misogynist. Mitchell. And like, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or Sorry. Mystery Sorry. Science Theater. <laughs> but I think this, I mean, this holds true in a lot of things. Even I was thinking like Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. I know the writers had certain, like, at some point they made certain guidelines for how the characters work. Like Bugs Buddy, for instance. And the cartoons of like the 40s and 50s, he's never the one to draw first blood. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that's more of a rainbow thing. But, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like usually the bad guys, whoever that happens to be, Yosemite Sam or someone, will, yeah. will get something up on him, beat him up or take away his home or something. And then he's like, of course you realize this means war. Yeah. And then he can just mop the floor with them. He, yeah. Because he's been is justified in doing stuff back to them, which, okay, it's not. I don't know, maybe a Christian idea of, ju- of justice. No, but, but, but it is it is a it is a well, first off, it's Looney Tunes. But second <laughs> off, it is a a kind of a gut reaction human idea of justice. Yeah. You know, that you started it, I can finish it. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad always told me they named the show. That would be that, Babylon. Yeah, 5. thank you. <laughs> Uh, I, I should probably finish a quote for everyone else. Yeah, go ahead. And they already told me, don't ever start a fight, but be sure to finish it. Yeah. The Captain John Sheridan. Yeah. With, that was kind of his guiding principle when it comes to warfare. Yeah. Which people like. Yeah. And I think, like, you got, like, sometimes the anti that gruff, again, Bofet and Mandalorian lean into the, the Western, you know, the yeah. the lone wolf, and he just, just, don't bother with me, and he's all... But it's always funny because there's so somewhere where he does care. Yeah, that's on. That's the entire story. Uh-huh. That oh wait, he does care. Well, unless you do like a really hardcore, which I guess I haven't watched a lot of those, where the person just like, did you watch Punisher? I did not get into Punisher, and actually, I'm glad you brought him up because I think he's an example of an antihero kind of gone wrong in some ways. Let me back up just yeah. a little bit. I do want to make clear that when I say antiheroes are basically actually heroic. I also don't necessarily mean to say that all protagonists necessarily need to be heroic. Mm -hmm. There is a place for tragic protagonists. There is a place for fallen, you know, you're just exploring fallen people and they may do some heroic things, but they're not necessarily someone you want to emulate. Yes. So like, for example, Cowboy Bebop, Mm -hmm. like that's, there's a show with a bunch of people who are going through a number of issues. (laughs) I guess you could say some of them are sort of anti-hero-ish because they're, they're really just going after bounties to get a paycheck. Yeah. Spike is a former crime syndicate's hitman, basically, that can't get away from his past. Um, But that's, I don't think you're supposed, well, some people probably do want to be like those people, but by the end of the show, I think you're like, you you come to realize, I don't necessarily want to be like these guys. They're all haunted by their past. I, I would say probably, with, and we'll get back to Punisher in a second, Yeah, that the antiheroes that resonate most with the popular culture are the ones that don't keep being an antihero. Yeah. Now, again, I think there are a subsection of antiheroes that just stay rough and evil and what or like mostly evil and people just like the darkness of it yeah like for instance and i can't remember enough in some ways reese from um Prince of interest probably starts kind of an anti-hero doesn't he kind of a yeah I, he's, i'm doing it just that. because and i broke all the laws i'm just trying to redeem myself sort of mm-hmm. mentality i mean by the end he's not yeah. i mean that's almost the entire what the ending means in some ways yeah that's true um i mean you and you have different shades of this kind yeah. of stuff i mean i've pointed out Robin Hood before as kind of an, of an example of a perfect hero, 
but it depends on your portrayal of Robin Hood. I mean, in some ways, he is an outlaw. Yeah. At least of the, but you know, you've got a corrupt government. Sometimes you work outside of that. So it, there are different shades of this sort of thing. Now, does do antiheroes? Do you, in your definition, take things like say Ocean's Eleven, mm. or is that just a whole different category? Well, I mean, I guess. You could include that and under this. I mean, Basically bad guys, but they're not as bad as the bad, bad guys. Yeah. That probably falls underneath the category of this. Because okay. another, another example I was thinking of, and I think this is an adequate example, but I think not a, a one to emulate, Firefly. Okay, yes. We've talked before about how the characters on Firefly are really not good people. No. Even less so, in my opinion, from what I remember, it's been a while, than the characters in Cowboy Bebop. But back when Firefly had a lot of hype, you know, after it was canceled and people had discovered it on DVD and yeah. were like, this is an amazing show. Why, why didn't they renew this? I was kind of like, yeah, there's some fun stuff in here, but I felt a little skeevy after a little while of watching it. And to be honest, after Josh Whedon has kind of fallen out of the grace in public eye, I feel a little vindicated <laughs> by like, yeah, the morals about all this really are not that worth emulating here like yeah these are not great people i wonder sometimes if it's like we enjoy things like that because the protagonist gets what he wants and he's sometimes funny but like if you start comparing to anything real it'd be like Ugh. yeah yeah there's something like that and sometimes it also just kind of to be honest it could reflect your current mood you may be in a mood where you're feeling kind of rebellious or a mm. little like I have a little bit of a confession. I was sort of in one of those moods, I think, when I originally watched the first season of Jessica Jones. Okay. It was like, oh, I'm feeling kind of grouchy. I want something that's just kind of cruddy to kind of reflect my mood. Mm -hmm. I think there might be a little bit of that that goes on. But to get back to, we were talking about The Punisher yeah. earlier. I don't remember if this was on, do you remember hearing a podcast on The Punisher on 99% Invisible? I did not listen to that one. Okay. If, if it wasn't on there, it was on this other one I listened to periodically called Imaginary Worlds. The creator of the Punisher originally created him as kind of a commentary on Vietnam vets. Okay. Um, the Punisher was this guy that his family brutally murdered, and so he decided the law isn't doing enough to do it. I'm just going to go murder the criminals, and I'm going to be the guy who punishes all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And it was never supposed to be a very... Yeah, I mean, he was sometimes a villain, sometimes more anti-hero yeah. than, than anything. Again, this is not someone you want to emulate, but a kind of an interesting commentary picture of what you do when you've taken someone, like the Punisher yeah. originally was a Vietnam vet. Yeah. He's someone who's had this very violent experience background and then try to put him back in modern America. How does he cope with yeah. all this stuff? In more recent years, the Punisher emblem, you know, that skull yeah. thing, has been used on everything to like support the police to white supremacists <laughs> and all this other kind of stuff. It's kind of gone a little bit like the people who use it do it in the sense of like people who feel disempowered by the system and okay. want to, you know, wreak vengeance or yeah. wreak, you know, just get things done. Yeah. Which makes it a little ironic for like people who are very, you know, like What's the word I'm looking for? I work for a prosecutor's office, so yeah. I'm gonna say I'm very, I'm very pro police. But you know, <laughs> you know what I mean—the people who are like really pro police. Oh yeah. And I think the it's a case where people are mistaking a character who is supposed to represent a fallen person and seeing, maybe identifying with that a little too strongly, too strongly, and saying like, yeah, that's what we need to do. Because again, like an antihero could be like I, I'm trying to think from a creator's point of view why you would write someone who you don't 
emulate. But writers, there are a lot of interesting characters in the world. Not all of them are great. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you want to tell a story about this guy who, for whatever reason, there's something about him you want to examine, even if he's horribly broken or wrong or whatever. And I suppose that's how it starts sometimes. It's just like, I want to point out this brokenness or point out this, how this works out in real life. And that's the antihero, maybe how it starts. Also, I think when you work with characters a long time, especially in our modern culture, you start wanting to write all the different characters and make them all heroes at some point. Mm-hmm. Because I know like Marvel and I know, uh, oh, and, and DC actually, you know, they both have teams of bad guys who basically go and get together to be, I guess, heroes against worse threats. Yeah, sort of. Like Harley Quinn has become one of these, like she has kind of separated herself from the Joker so she can be her own thing. But like, I think she's part of Suicide Squad. That's what I mean. Suicide Squad, the whole, that's the yeah. whole thing. You collect all these bad guys to be... Basically force them to... Stop other worse things? Yeah. There's there's a, there's a couple groups like that in um, Marvel, too, where they collect, like, Deadpool and Juggernaut and other people, and they go and do things. I forget what it's called. It's like, the idea being that you need some people who can get their hands dirty so that the good guys don't. Don't, yep. Which, I'm like... Mm. So, so I... I best i guess what creators are experimenting with is like who are these people who are not how do they function what makes them tick and what is the ethical dilemmas of doing this sort of stuff that's at best at worst is just like let's revel in stuff that is transgressive yeah um uh-huh. and i think i think there's good uses for from a creator point of view of anti-heroes if you're going to be examining interesting ideas or personalities for for me for instance from a christian point of view trying to say hey i'm writing this broken person who's wrong but the point is to show you something else. Yeah. Wasn't our friend Nate Chen talking about a story he was writing where the main characters were vampires and they were being hunted down one by one and he had to show how horrible they were? And the story was like from their point of view being hunted down. Hmm. I think that was at one of our meetings. That's possible. It was. So it's like something like that makes sense. It has a purpose. Mm-hmm. That's not just to let's be how transgressive can we be? Yeah. How, how, how edgy or like, yeah. Well, Watchmen is like this. Mm. I mean, Watchmen is basically all these horrible people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and what do you think he's trying to say in, in, with that? You're, are they saying that like heroes? I mean, Watchmen is kind of considered a deconstruction of superheroes yeah. in general. This is a comic by Alan Moore, everyone. And you kind of get the impressions like, well, maybe there really aren't any heroes. And that could be the meaning of the. Yeah, it's a very depressing. Uh huh. It's a ridiculous litter. I mean, it's certainly oh, yeah. well done, but it's very depressing. But because, like, the hero is basically Rorschach, who's just, I mean, he'll just do whatever to bring justice, I guess. Well, interesting you bring this up, because, and you missed our... I had, our, our Natasha recent... said they talked about Watchmen, which is why it was on my mind, but it's been forever since I read it. Well, one thing Nate had brought out, Nate Chen, yeah. I had brought it in our small group, was that... Alan Moore didn't necessarily intend for Rorschach to be the hero. Oh, okay. Natasha mentioned this. He yeah. mentioned that Ozzy Mendes was supposed to be the the hero. Like, but like, isn't he the guy who like sets up the whole? Yeah, like, and no one in the audience reads Ozzy no. Mendes as a hero because he does horrible things. He, no, no, he's like he's like the good guy who thinks he's good and he's actually evil versus the bad guy who knows he's bad and does some good. Right. I mean, it makes sense with Alan Moore's very twisted relativist. The, you know, yeah. But I guess apparently, because Rorschach is an objectivist in comparison, and I guess he thought Al, like that would be, he was using, because I mean, and Rorschach is not a great person either. Like, no, if he's you don't very know, violent. Rorschach's this very violent, 
quote-unquote hero who gets justice done, but basically in very brutal ways. Yeah. He doesn't, he, he won't pull punches in any, there's really no limit to what he'll do to get done when he thinks is right. Yeah, he's he's a more violent Batman, essentially. Yeah. But yeah, it was that was just interesting. It was a way of where what the creator was trying to do didn't really wind up. Apparently his morals are completely out of sync with most of the rest of America. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which just goes to show that sometimes you try to twist the truth one way and the truth is just like, nope, and it'll snap back. And <laughs> so, so coming back to your main point that... Uh, the antiheroes we resonate with have something good about them. Yeah. They have something that we we always want to pursue virtue. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying the term antihero is kind of a misnomer. And in some ways, it's even an oxymoron, to be yeah. honest. Like, an anti means anti, you know, against. Yeah. And, I mean, most people don't use the term antihero. Like, you would think an antihero, well, why not just a villain? Yeah. What they really mean is, like... A dirty hero. Dirty hero, or like barely hero. Yeah, or barely hero. <laughs> yeah. Hero by the skin of his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, occasionally you get these characters who will say things like, I'm no hero, almost as if they're like refuting like the perfect hero idea that, yeah. I, that I've talked about, or like the idea of uh, an ultimate good. And I don't think a hero doesn't necessarily have to be that, although I, I enjoy that kind of hero, but you can have heroes that are flawed. You can have heroes that are reluctant, but they're still heroes. Well, it's interesting because we're saying hero a lot. And I think people have two or three perceptions of that word. One is that like the person always knows what's going to happen and save people. And the other is like the person is just trying to do right. Yeah. And when people say, I'm no hero in this movie, they're usually like, I'm not that pretty perfect, but they're still usually trying to do what's right. Yeah. Which is why they have to say that because they're like, well, don't, don't glorify me. Yeah. Don't, don't lift me up on a pedestal. Yeah. Which, okay, I can respect that a little bit, but... I am no protagonist. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's one of the things I love about... Uh, there's an anime that's very popular now called My Hero Academia. Yeah. That's all about high schoolers learning to be superheroes. And they're constantly evaluating what that means, mm-hmm. what, what it means to be a hero, what it means to be an ideal, someone that will inspire inspiration and seeing teenagers wants to be that i think is an awesome thing it's interesting because there's a whole trend now especially in disney of basically taking all these villains and giving their own movies or tv shows or whatever Mm -hmm. and basically to do it they always have to give them something either a backstory that's so tragic that you want them to to win to if not to win at least you understand them yeah you know you're at least like well they're bad but they're not real. Well, what's the once upon a time sort of thing? Um, some people are born bad and some are well, There's some oh, little yeah. phrase that... That it comes up a couple times. It, because if you don't know, guys, once upon a time is basically the perfect encapsulation of Disney theology. Um, <laughs> but like uh, Maleficent. Have you seen either of those? No. It's fascinating because she's this just wicked thing in the... Um, cartoon. Cartoon, thank you. But <laughs> like they give her this, this kind of his motherhood sort of soft spot and yeah i mean so they they humanize her they make her more good just misunderstood yeah so like and sometimes we have this role of anti-heroes now where it's like well you thought that was a bad guy but you just didn't know the whole picture which is funny because usually in those kinds of stories they will still wind up having someone who actually is a bad guy yeah so it's like you can't get away from these archetypes even though as much as you try because we want to see the world it's not black and white but we always are grasping for the black and white. Yeah. I mean, there is gray, and especially nowadays, show want to show all the gray, and mm-hmm. there's good and bad about that, but we really want answers. We want to say, what's right, what's wrong? Yeah. And even if we end up saying this thing that 
is wrong is right because of circumstance or whatever. We still want to say this is right, this is wrong. Yeah. We're very uncomfortable with ambiguity last time with something that says it could be either. You're like, no. It, it depends be, on the circumstances. Like, or yeah. Either Thanos is right or he's wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it does depend on the, the medium you're talking about. Like, usually the more escapist you want, the more clear-cut it is what's yes, right and that's wrong. that's true. But I think everyone's still, even when we get in the movie, everyone wants to make a decision what happened. Was he good? Was he right in doing that or not? V for Vendetta is another sort of anti-hero thing. Mm. I don't know if you've seen that one. I have not, but I know a bit about it. It, it was interesting. I don't know enough to talk about it now. <laughs> I just remember well, watching it. Well, thanks for it. bringing it up. Well, here's what I brought up. <laughs> I remember watching it, and then at the end, asked myself a lot of questions. Well, what would have been the right, be this about overthrowing the government, they're wrong, and all this stuff. And then I was, the way I do things, mm-hmm. after I got done watching, I'm like, well, okay, if we take this philosophy, how does that apply to Christianity and the American Revolution? I was just trying to think, was it right for us to rebel? Because he's rebelling, and then we say in America, and so I was working through all those theological things. Uh, so it was worth watching, I guess. It made me think. Sure. I wanted to know what's right, what's wrong. <laughs> Not just like, oh, things happened. Yeah. We do like the clear-cut right and wrong. And, some, yeah. and there are some things in this world that are clear-cut and then other things that, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's that's kind of my rant about antiheroes. I, th- I think the word, even though we use it a lot in this because it's convenient, people have some relation to it, but I think the word should just go away. So what would you recommend? Just call them dirty heroes? Yeah, call them dirty heroes, messy heroes. Some other description because anti doesn't make sense. Like black, said. black on blood on their hands, heroes. <laughs> you killed Bambi's mom, hero. <laughs> and again, I would also say, be careful who you emulate. I, I think that's true because we do have a fascination with these darker heroes nowadays, mm-hmm. and I think there's there's a lot of danger in emulating these darker heroes. There's there's, there's a place for them. And I guess the but. other the other point I would bring out about that, since we're, we've been talking a lot of morality here. Yeah is that morality is not self-determined. Yes, I would agree with I am very, I get very tired of seeing that portrayed in shows as if it's some sort of like divine, not divine. <laughs> you can't uh, say that. <laughs> no, as, as if it's some sort of deep significance that like you are who you want to be. And like that, no. It's, it, no. Yeah. Morality is a fixed thing. It has nothing to do with your feelings and your emotions. Yeah. <laughs> I know we've been talking about black and white and sometimes things aren't, but ultimately you are not the judge of those things. Honestly, we all have very messy hearts yeah. and our hearts can lead us astray mm-hmm. all the time. You are not your own. You are not your own. There's there's someone else. As a Christian, I believe that there is a God who yeah. has decreed these things. And sometimes we may not understand what was the right choice in a given situation because it's like it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but God will be the ultimate judge. Yeah. And he knows. He knows. All right. With that said, I will get off my soapbox <laughs> and uh, introduce Soundtrack. So for my soundtrack choice, I decided to go with something from Final Fantasy VIII because the main character of that, Squall, or as he's known in Kingdom Hearts, Leon. Well, why did they change that? Well, you want to know the in-game reason or the out-of-game reason? In-game. Let's do in-game. In-game is because he was so disgusted with himself for letting the Heartless take over his world that he decided to change. He left the name Squall behind and go went by Leon. Okay, what's the what's the out-of-game? Because they referred to him as Leon and they were trying to kind of keep it as a secret. Like, they've heard to him before you see oh, him. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So they were kind of trying to keep it secret who he actually I was. Gotcha. Okay. 
So anyway, but Squall is very, he's the epitome of an edgelord character. Whatever. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's, his, that's his catchphrase. He's a, he's a student's mercenary, which is a strange thing, but they're- well, They go to school to be mercenaries. They, yeah, they're teenagers. They go to school to be mercenaries in order to better their lives, I guess. That's one of the aspects <laughs> of that story that always is a little head scratcher. But for him, it's like, it's just a job, whatever. And um, despite all the women in the game that are quite into him- um, Whatever. Whatever. Uh, so <laughs> he said I, that so much at the beginning. So that it felt appropriate to do something for him. Um, I mean, the guy doesn't actually even smile until like after the credits. So he's, as opposed to the other main character, uh, Laguna, who's like a yes. goon. Yes. Well, and unfortunately, I wound up picking the song I picked is I think associated with Laguna, but it also is, is a song that the the original track is the Man of the Machine Gun. Oh yeah. Um, but I think this is also just really associated with Final Fantasy VIII in it general. Is. It is. So then this remix is called One Man and His Metal Gun, <laughs> which yeah, that doesn't sound edgy and anti-hero-y. You know, why not? Uh, this is a uh, remix by Pirate Crab. Awesome name. Uh, it's really metal-y, and I hope you enjoy.
Welcome back. Hopefully your uh, neck isn't too strained from head thrashing to that song. Nope. We need more pirate crabs. Apparently we do. <laughs> but meanwhile, it, until we get more pirate crabs, uh, we're going to go into our next segment, which is called Once Upon a Sentence. We did have one person who responded. Correctly. Uh, correctly. Identified our sentence from last time. However, this was the same person that had identified the last one. Uh, that would be uh, Katie Hobbs. So congratulations, Katie. She need, did need a second try. That's true. So what's, uh, what was that sentence from? The sentence was from Through the Looking Glass, the second Alice in Wonderland book. By Lewis Carroll. So nice job, Katie. So which means the rest of you, I know there are many, many hundreds of thousands of you. Sure. Come, Tim. Believe. <laughs> um, <laughs> Give them a sentence and they will come. Well. Yes. No, but guys, I'm sure you can get some of these. Katie says she's been training her whole life for this. That's true. But I'm sure some of you have been training your whole life for this as well. Yeah, and I think there's some competition. And maybe we haven't given enough incentive for we this. We need a prize of some sort. So if you uh, send in the correct answer and we'll, we get a deluge of these, we'll draw it out of hat. But otherwise, give us something to plug and we'll plug that for you. It, maybe your drain. <laughs> maybe you have a podcast. Maybe you have a YouTube video that you want to, us to share. Maybe you're trying to get rid of some kittens. Yeah. Uh, maybe you have a bake sale coming up. Let us know. <laughs> Let us know. Yeah. But meanwhile, um, so here is your new sentence from a famous book, and this will be kind of a long one, but it's got dialogue, and I assure you it is one sentence in the book as it is written. Uh, here we go. But there's a thing or two I have to tell you, I said, and by this time I was quite excited. And the first is this. Here you are in a bad way. Ship lost, treasure lost, men lost, your whole business gone to wreck. And if you want to know who did it, it was I. Very nice. Thank you. Again, I'll do that one more time. See if you can recognize it. But there's a thing or two I have to tell you, I said. And by this time, I was quite excited. And the first is this. Here you are in a bad way. Ship lost, treasure lost, men lost. Your whole business gone to wreck. And if you want to know who did it, it was I. Can I guess? Can you guess? Sure. The Stranger by Albert Camus. Uh, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That would really change that book. <laughs> <laughs> be a better book. <laughs> anyways. Be a, be a more fun book. So, so I do actually know what it is, guys. We did beforehand. but Yes. So anyway, send us an email at derailedtrains at gmail.com or get a hold of us some other way and let us know what book that is from. Meanwhile, we will go on to our next segment, our take on Tales. It's been a little while since we had just a, a non-annual segment on our take on Tales. Yeah, we don't do it as often as we used to. Yeah, because we've, we've gotten into these habits of like we have our, our summer movies we talk about. We have our annual book review stuff. Yep. So now is time we get to just talk about some story that we encountered recently and uh, have something to talk about. Yes. Have something to say about it. So, Nick, why don't you start us off? So my wife and I watched the recent Masterpiece Theater, I think it was Masterpiece Theater, Around the World in 80 Days. Starring David Tennant. Starring David Tennant, which is half the reason I wanted to watch it. <laughs> How many episodes was that? Eight episodes. Okay. I believe. Yes. Good things first. Beautiful. You know, filming is great. Tennant is just, he's just great generally. He's fun to watch. All the characters did a great job. I think the hardest thing, and in the end, I did enjoy it. I was glad to have watched it. It was enjoyable. The hardest thing is this, is that I went into it thinking, I've read the book at one point. 
it's been a while. I don't remember any of the details. Just remembering it was fun. I'm like, oh, this is going to be an adventure. And it eventually was. Whoops. Um, <laughs> it, it eventually was. With a whimper, apparently. With a whimper. But there was a lot of... Tim and I were talking about this at some point. You saw a little bit of it. I watched one episode, I think, or half of an episode. But there's a it leans very heavy into the sort of character therapy. What I mean by that is like Phileas Fogg, the main character who's traveling around the world, has a lot of angst, a lot of like he was he lost love and he he's considered a coward and he's never changed in his life. And then every character has these deep this baggage. And a lot of the early episodes are a lot about them just working through that baggage and like I wanted this triumphant Phileas Fogg and he's there like pouting in a corner, you know, not doing anything. And it was just unfortunate. It was it was sad. Like it was not yeah. real enjoyable. Now that was the beef I saw from yeah. what I little I bit. I was like, they could have done an actual adaptation of this instead of like, we're just gonna use the version of this to kind of make our own new story. Which I mean, and to be fair, when Jackie Chan did an adaptation <laughs> of a of Around the World in 80 Days. You knew what you're getting into. Yeah. Like, okay, this is not going to be that close of adaptations. It's starring Jackie Chan, but with David Tennant, it's like, well, they could do. They could do. He could do. Be an actual yeah. like authentic, full of self confidence British gentleman that is the character in the book. But they decided and, to do their own thing. And every early episodes, especially, tend to all seem to kind of hit some sort of. And I probably wouldn't notice except for this political moment uh, and cultural moment is that. They all seem to want to rotate around some sort of like kind of hot button issue about being a powerful woman or or race relations when they get to America and, and mm-hmm. or all these things which are not necessarily bad stories themselves just felt very much like it's set in our time very heavily. Yeah. But having said that, because it is well written, because it is beautifully filmed, because Tennant and the other actors are great. If you go into it knowing it's going to be more character and less adventure, or if you just get used to it, like second half was much better. Once we got through some of that stuff, there's some neat locations. Uh, they had this whole strand on an island episode, which was kind of fun. It's just um, a strange choice to me. Like around the world in 80 days is by its very nature an adventure story. Yeah. Why make it a character study? I know it was, again, it became more adventuresome. Like out West, there was some dual sort of stuff when they were in, was it China? China and Japan. I think it might've been Japan. There was this great past part two does this great like thief thing and sneak around and there was so actually that episode five is probably the best episode of the whole thing hmm. and there was a really good episode even early on where Phileas Fogg got to be awesome by being he was he knows all this mechanical stuff and he got this kid saved so there were really good points in it it just it was a very different beast going into it than I expected mm-hmm. but if you take it for what it is I mean it's well done it's masterpiece but. But yeah, it was. I had mixed feelings. The ending was better than the beginning, partly because because Phillies Fogs has finally worked through his stuff by the end, and you're like, oh, he made some progress. This is finally the character I kind of wanted to see. Yeah, and he has kind of a triumphant thing, and okay. shows up this other guy. I asked my wife, what you know, what do you think about? It? I'm going to go be on my podcast tonight, and she agrees. She says she probably would have enjoyed it more, except I was always complaining. <laughs> um, so that's part of it because she would just want to watch it. I'm like, why are they using? Why are they talking about this issue? And I, why are they making this all about therapeutic stuff? And um, <laughs> and she's like, stop it. Um, but also at the end, they have this thing. They get back. There's all this cheering and party for them. And then they like they decide to go off another adventure because like Passepartout misses fix or a miss fix uh-huh. and um, Phileas Fogg. And they just kind of leave all the people there who were waiting for him behind. Natasha's like. 
she actually referred to Adorning the Dark, like, stay for the applause. Like, don't just <laughs> bow out. Sure. Um, <laughs> so don't go watching it thinking, oh, I'm so happy that they did a good adaptation of it. Go into it thinking, well, they're going around the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And going to some neat locations. And there's a lot of character study growth stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. But if you go with it, that attitude, I mean, it's well done. Yeah. It would make a difference knowing what you're getting yeah. going into it. Yeah. That makes sense. I can recommend the 1950s adaptation version. I think it's 50s with David Niven as, is it Phineas or Phileas? Phileas. Phileas. Fog. Um, I can also recommend the fun. the cartoon Puss Boots Travels Around the World, which is <laughs> the definitive version. That no one has heard except you. It's so good. <laughs> This childhood memory of yours. Yes. Um, Anyway, first thing I wanted to talk about today, it's been a while since I talked about a good anime series, which is not to say that I haven't seen. I've been going through some ongoing series. Uh, I mentioned My Hero Academia. Dr. Stone is a fascinating one. But I I think those are fairly well known in the anime world. But there's this one called Recreators, Hmm. which I watched recently, which I found fascinating. The re in the title is kind of goes along with it's kind of an anime video game convention of like using re as in like yeah. the email, R-E, reply, mm-hmm. colon. And there's this there's a trend in anime these days called isekai, which I think kind of started with Sword Art Online. It's basically the people from our world going into a fantasy oh, world yeah. kind of thing. You could also say Narnia, you yeah. know, Wonderland kind of stuff. Well, Recreators is sort of a reverse isekai where fictional characters come into our world. Oh, interesting. Um, and they're from like anime, manga, because it's set in Japan. Yeah. A video game, light novel characters. They seem to be brought by this one mysterious anime girl who's wearing a military uniform and wields like a hundred swords. And she seems to be bringing these fictional characters over purposely to kind of mess with the laws of reality and try to because all these characters come with their own, like if they have powers in their world, they come with yeah. it. And that kind of starts bending the ro- the laws of reality. And okay. her ultimate goal is to kind of destroy our world. Oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds fun. And no one's quite sure why she's doing this. And so that's kind of one of the central mysteries. But, um, and the fictional character, some of the fictional characters that bring over, there's like two different mecha people. There's a knight. There's a kind of hard-boiled detective from a sci-fi noir world. Nice. There's a fighter guy that's like the rival of the main of a protagonist from that series. They have a lot of fun with like the stereotypes. There's a magical girl a la Cardcaptor Sakura. They have a lot of fun kind of spoofing that stuff. And that plot's fun, but what also gets really fascinating is some of the commentary of the creators, like all these fictional characters wind up meeting most of them wind up meeting the people who created them. Oh, interesting. And, you know, in some cases, it becomes kind of antagonistic. Like one, this night character, she gets infuriated when she realizes that she's from a fictional reality and basically why her whole world was created. And she starts demanding of the creator, my world is like constantly getting pulled apart by war. Why would you do this to us? And so it's a really interesting discussion of like, why do we create? What is the role of conflict in stories? Why do we explore bad things? You know, a lot of s- similar questions like we address here on our podcasting. Yeah. And it's also kind of a it's a love letter to creator culture in general. Because the people who, who have created these manga or fan art or what have you, they have to kind of work together with the fictional characters to try to kind of sort some of these things out. And so there's a lot of dealing with 
wire we'd love to create and dealing with kind of comparisons between ourselves and other artists and all, you know, all this kind of, kind of stuff. It's just, it's fascinating to see in this play out in this, um, in this animated series. Interesting. Sounds fascinating. Yeah. So uh, someone who knows anime, manga culture, probably you're going to get the most out of it. But honestly, I think any listener of this podcast yeah. would uh, feel right at home and find a lot of interesting topics to, t- to think about. So how long is this anime? It's one season. It's about 26 episodes. Okay. So it's, so it's doable. It's, it's very like, doable. Yeah. Um, we watched it on Amazon Prime, which okay. may be one of the, uh, that's where it's licensed currently. There might be other ways. I'm not sure yet. Okay. But I highly recommend it. So what's what's your next one, Nick? You know, you're talking about that actually remind me of one I had completely forgotten that I'm going to talk about. I actually watched an anime semi-recently. Did I tell? I don't know if you mentioned this. I don't know if I know So about this. I watched, it was kind of on a spur of the moment, we just picked it on Netflix, Violet Evergarden. Okay, I recognize the name, I think. So Violet Evergarden is about, is it like in the fictional sort of side of Renaissance European world. She is, it starts where... She had been in the war. She had been like some sort of um, kind of super soldier. Like she, but she's like she was like fourteen. Okay. But you just start. She has both her arms had been had been basically broken or taken off. So she has these mechanical arms and mechanical hands. Okay. And they live in a world where like there's this whole industry where what do they call they call them? There's a ridiculous name for them. But basically, girls who will type letters for you. Like writing's not well known. Like okay. most people are not. You mean like stenographers? Kind of, but they have a fancy. They're like, okay. there's a there's a ridiculous name for it in the anime, and can't. I wish I remembered. It's been uh, several months since I watched this anime. They're like typewriter girls or something, like, you know. But uh-huh. very cutesy sort of name. Be they dress up all cutesy and they go to people and they the. But here's the trick. I have never watched. I haven't watched a ton of anime. Um, it is a very kind of downplayed. There's not a lot of act. It's largely just very slice of life sort of. And every episode is basically her, and she doesn't understand emotions at all. Like she doesn't understand people. Okay. She was just basically this weapon. You always think there's going to be some sort of backstory, and there's a little bit, but they never really explain how she became a weapon. It's just sort of assumed. But her job then is that she goes to someone who needs something written, and she'll type it for him. And she basically is trying to learn how to feel emotions. Okay. And so she like reflects back on them and kind of what they're feeling. It's hard to explain, but the best episodes are really powerful about talking about how words can get to what really ma- what people really think and feel. Like people are have this struggle and they somehow perfectly encapsulate in this letter that she manages to write. And she because she's kind of blank slate, she can kind of reflect back and help them figure out what they really mean. Okay. I'm not explaining it very well. Because very downplayed, but like every episode is just her basically going somewhere and writing a letter for a person. Then she has this progress becoming more and more human. But also every episode, she's there's a couple of them that are like really tear jerkers. They're just really effective about like there's this one where this artist he's trying to finish his play. He's not he can't finish his play. She brought her in to just type while he narrates, and it's because his like daughter died a couple of weeks and she mm-hmm. uh, like a year ago and he mm-hmm. and so like this the writing the end of this play is basically finishing it for his daughter. All this stuff. I don't know, but it's it's I've never watched. I haven't watched a ton of anime, but it's very personal. Very downplayed, but I liked it a lot because of it's it's a beautiful anime, mm. and two because it has a lot to do about the power of words. Sure, about the power of finding the right words lets you finally say what you always meant to say to fill in who who they were trying to talk to. Uh huh. 
one of the fun details of recreators is the fictional characters are often commenting about like, hey, it makes perfect sense that this is kind of the realm of the gods, which is kind of how they term view the creators. Okay, yeah. Because they're making their whole worlds. But like your world is just so vivid and like the food that they eat is just like, it tastes so much more strongly because, you know, people don't tend to like their worlds. Nothing exists except what people had created in their stories. That's interesting. And so like, unless you specifically talked about what the food tastes like, yeah, they wouldn't know. So So, yes, words have power. (laughs) Anyways, it's 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 interesting. It kind of also then fell on my head afterwards. But like as I was watching it, there was a lot of really interesting things about what it means to be humans and words and connecting with people. So if you want a very downplayed anime, a very like not over the top or anything, or maybe you're new to anime, I think Violet Evergarden on Amazon is not a bad. Was it Amazon thing. or Netflix? Oh, sorry, Netflix. Okay, on Netflix. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, I wasn't meant to talk mean talk about that one, but you reinvigorated that memory. Well, nice, nice. Well, let me talk a little bit about uh, Nino Kuni: Wrath of the White Witch. So this is a, a video game that is best known for incorporating some animation by Studio Ghibli. Which is wonderful. Which is wonderful. <laughs> the people who make uh, Hayao Miyazaki's movies. That being said, the animation is kind of more of a uh, cameo in some things. And most of the game, is, it's cel-shaded. Okay. Uh, so, and it looks nice. I mean, oftentimes when Janelle would see me playing, it's like, wow, it really does look like you're playing an animated movie oh, at that's times. that's cool. But you'll get to see most of the Studio Ghibli stuff more in the first half of the game, I'd say. And But you got Joe Hishiyashi, right? And you got Joe Hishiyashi music. Although I, I will say they don't tend to write quite as much music they didn't tend, as like for some games. Okay. I mean, to be fair, you're playing this game for like 70 hours. Yeah. That's a lot of music. And nowadays it's more common to write like good grief the soundtrack for kingdom hearts 3 is like four cds long the, the soundtrack for final fantasy remake 7 remake is seven yeah it's yeah. they make a ton of music and then and you will definitely hear a lot more i mean sometimes it's a little strange like the final dungeon music you'll hear in the very first dungeon oh which, yeah, that's kind of weird yeah, yeah. so that, yeah that, that's a little strange but it's it's very nice yeah but be, just not enough of it yeah just not enough of it this is a game that originally came out. Well, it's kind of it's kind of a funny thing. They developed a 3DS game first, okay. and then they kind of concurrently were doing a PS3 one that uses the PS3 one, which is then adapted to PS4, which is what I played it on. Use that same story, but like basically added an additional element. So the basic story of Nino Kuni is. There's this boy, it's another isekai, I guess. He's been brought from this very American-looking world to a fantasy world, basically a place that's been besieged by this dark djinn called Shadar. Um, (laughs) Keeps kind of breaking people's hearts and messing with their emotions. And you have to basically, this boy, Oliver, is off to become a a wizard to go defeat him. Okay. But what's interesting is because for the PlayStation, the adaptation, you find out Shadar is working for the White Witch. No relation to the Narnian one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and none of the people in the fantasy world know anything about her. Oh. <laughs> so so you get to the, you, you eventually you defeat Shadar, and that's apparently where the 3DS one yeah. ended. But then, like, Oliver's about ready to go home, and then, like, 
ah, this white witch shows up and she's got her own thing going on. And and they're like, oh, we got to go do this now. Did that feel, I mean, when you play that, does it feel tacked on or does it feel? Well, they, they integrated enough. There's enough, there's a lot of scenes with the white witch, but at some point you realize she's consulting with Shadar and this whole council thing, but Oliver and no one else seems to know anything about her. Okay. So th- they see certain things in, but it's, it so is So they set it up. It's just- They set it up, but, it, but it's an interesting- tactic you're like one of these cases where the audience knows more than the protagonist yeah. it's funny the ps3 version got a lot of high acclaim and i think the ps4 as well which is ps4 is basically just a remaster yeah. it makes everything high def it's not necessarily talked about a whole lot and i think that's kind of because as far as rpgs go this one doesn't necessarily isn't exactly revolutionary yeah i wouldn't say it isn't like it, it has some elements of like they're similar to pokemon you yeah. fight with familiars which makes it a little complicated sometimes because you have like nine characters that you have to keep fully equipped and stuff. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, not that I really, you'll wind up only using about like half of that number regularly anyway, but. So how, how like RPGs can go from straightforward to very convoluted? Like what kind of story is this? I would say it's, it's more on the straightforward side. This is a game I think your kids would okay. really enjoy. I think it's very kid friendly. Is it, okay, compared to say Child of Light, is it more, is it less sort of straightforward or less than that? I mean, that's very um, well, it'd be kind of connected dots. I mean, this is more traditional JRPG since Child of Light is uh, U- Metroidvania, yeah. Ubisoft, yeah. But it's, I mean, it is linear in that sense. Okay. I would, I would say. I mean, there's a lots of side quests you can do, which yeah, okay. you will probably want to do to equip all your guys, because especially early game money feels really, really scarce for me anyway. And the side quests are, are for the most part worth. There's. There's one recurring thing where, like, trying to recruit new ones feels completely random. So any of the side new quests, what? new familiars, okay. it's a completely random mechanic for when it happens, which means trying to complete those particular side quests, I'm just like, mm, no, not yeah. worth it. Because I can't predict when this is going to actually work, trying to get any one specific familiar. But, yeah, I think it's, it's very approachable. There's nice little backstories to each of the um the villains in a way but also you got some fun characters you meet along the way and quirky you've got this fairy sidekick who doesn't look anything like a traditional fairy he looks more like a little it's like a egg with arms and legs and a long beak of a nose with a lantern on the end of it right and speaks with a welsh accent (laughs) interesting so yeah it's got it's got a lot of charm a lot of quirkiness like that so yeah fun little jrpg nice okay so I'm going to go and throw in last night. We actually watched my wife and I, the Adam project, which is seemed like kind of a big deal for Netflix. It had Ryan Reynolds in it and um, Jennifer Gardner. And it was billed in some advertisements I saw as like kind of nostalgia 80 sort of thing. There's time travel. Basically, Ryan Reynolds go back in time, ends up meeting his 12 year old self by accident because he's trying to get somewhere else to save his wife. And then there's this whole timeline shifting thing. Anyway, I, I thought, hey, let's try watching this thing. I guess I was a little disappointed. The plot was a little thin. Like, it has some really good, like, Ryan Reynolds is great in it. Okay. It's really good about, there's some really nice character moments between him and himself as a kid. Okay. Him and his dad, which he meets later. Him and his mom, because they meet, he's older, but his mom, he's back in time. And Anyways. So some of the character moments are really nice. The plot's just basically there to connect dots. They basically just kind of, hand wave most of the science but i had basically three things i thought after watching it 
And I'll just bring these up real quick and we can leave them there. One is that it reminded me, we talked about in the multiverse and in some other fate episodes Mm -hmm. about how, you know, it's all about me choosing my own destiny. This was one of those that felt like time travel is yet another way that, you know, like we're now in control of time and we can do this. Mm. For I won't spoil things, but there's people basically just use it to control their own destiny. I just thought that was interesting since we've, since we've talked about that. Second, I, I just wonder sometimes, when you look at different genre, different eras of American movies, you always wonder, like, what's the basic protagonist? Like, who is, what does this say about America? And it just reminded me that so many of our protagonists now are basically snarky guys <laughs> who are also broken. Mm-hmm. I just think that's, a, I don't know what that says about us, but just very interesting well i mean that's kind of ryan reynolds whole mo at this point well, well i know but he's not the only i mean yeah i know but it's i mean the only the exception only i can say there is free guy who's he's a bit more innocent in in that movie yeah but yeah i mean and i hadn't watched a lot of ryan reynolds i haven't seen free guy and i never watched deadpool yeah but there's numerous other superheroes that basically played the same game yeah that's true and it's just like what does that say about you know it's just interesting but three it really, and I find this interesting, it really emphasized the importance of dads. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting. And I think, you know, the culture keeps wanting, like, they know dads are important and that's a vital thing. It just made me think, it also talks about how hard it is to be a dad, to be a good one. And I think it's interesting, throughout history, the history is littered with bad dads. Yeah. Um, anyways, these, these are thoughts I think when watching just a fun popcorn movie, okay? <laughs> so this is why this podcast exists, guys. Uh. Um, all that to say, those are three things you can chew on. There's a decent amount of language. You know, the kid's snot, as snotty as his grown-up version, Ryan Reynolds. But there are some really good character moments. I think it's an enjoyable movie. I think it's more forgettable than it hoped. Mm. And I think, like I've seen like, in other reviews, like from World Magazine, the language makes it so it's not really necessarily family-friendly, depending on what age your kids are. There's not much else yeah. objectionable in it, but there's just misuse God's name and just mm. a general kind of snarky yeah. language stuff. Seems like there's a certain family culture that just is fine with crass language more regularly well, than I, we are. And granted, I grew up in the 80s and almost all the movies had that and didn't even notice when I was a kid. I mean, yeah. Goonies and anything around that era, you're like, oh, wow, yeah. Now I watch now, I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah. So, and so, and then they imitated it back in um, Super 8. Yeah. <laughs> Which, man, that, that's, Super 8 came out a while ago, believe it or not. Yeah. All right, so that was my quickie, well, semi-quickie. <laughs> I'll do a semi-quickie of an anime series that I'm still in the middle of, and I think this is probably a little bit more known these days from what I, I don't know, I'm not real in on what's current hip in anime world, but uh, this is a show called ReZero. Oh, you got like these re movies, these re ones. Yeah, apparently I don't know what why it's a thing, but this is another isekai. So okay, I'm telling you that's a that's a whole thing. Like I was reincarnated as slime sort of thing. <laughs> well, this one the, I haven't watched that one. Have you watched that one? I have not watched that one. I've heard of it. Yeah, but this one, some guy is just leaving a convenience store, and suddenly he finds himself in this fantasy world <laughs> place. But the and it that happens to us, Tim, all the time with a podcast. Well, true, you know, we, yeah, that's true. We get cast in all. Where, these where's the isekai? I guess so. The catch with this one is that this guy is basically going through a Groundhog Day's sort of life. In the fantasy world? In the fantasy world. Okay. Now, he's not literally reliving the same day, but what happens is he goes through this one day, he has this encounter around dusk, and he dies. He gets killed in it. Okay. But then he wakes up again at the beginning of basically that day. Okay. And so his thing is that he 
he goes through this loop that starts with him, that ends with him dying. And he's trying to figure out, okay, how do I get it so that so that I and the people that I've come to care about don't die as a part of this loop? And so he gets through one of them, and then another loop starts. Oh, interesting. So it's, and this is probably one of the rawest anime I've seen in a while. Because like, each time he dies, it's not just like, kind of, ah, ha, ha, he died. It's like, no, it's kind of like, horrific oh wow it's like oh that that look that sounds painful like unbelievably painful (laughs) but especially like in this the second loop i've i've seen it's pretty impressive how much he comes to care about some of these people that he's met even some who in some versions don't treat him super well because he's trying different things to try to and the other scary thing is he has no idea how long this will work if he has a limited number of lives essentially yeah does anyone else remember, or is it, it fresh every day for everyone but him? It's only him. He's the only one who remembers. Okay. And so far, he's been prevented from telling anyone. Okay. Like, the one time he tried, like, he suddenly got this sense of, like, this super dark presence that was like, uh-uh, don't. Like, preventing him from saying Interesting. anything about that's it. Interesting. A, that's a fascinating setup. It is. Yeah. I'm, I'm about halfway through the first season right now. But it's it is super intriguing. What is that on? Well, we were watching on an app called Verve, but I think it's also on like Funimation or okay. um we'll see Funimation and Crunchyroll are all kind of the same thing now, so I don't really know. That one sounds really fascinating. Yeah, that's a that's a unique premise. Yes, it it is for sure. And the characters are goofball like an an anime characters are, but he also feels very heroic because of how much he's come he comes to care about people very quickly. I guess he's hunting that one down. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I think that will do it for this episode. That was our that was our new annual anime roundup. Apparently, <laughs> I don't know about that because you never know. You never uh, know. Yeah, these I don't will come watch up. that many. But it was just interesting. Most of them end up being oddly enough. Yeah, yeah, unexpectedly. Before we say goodbye, goodbye, bye. <laughs> So we've been kind project of, update, project update, <laughs> kind of teasing, but this is very specifically about the podcast. Yes. So we won't make it an actual segment. We have been working on a new logo. Web- oh, <laughs> <laughs> we have been working on a new website for derailed trains of thought. Dot blogspot.com. <laughs> it won't be that anymore. Guys. No, we're finally, we're finally after almost 12 years, 11 and a half years right now, but it's coming be 12 before yeah. you know it of using a Blogspot site. We finally got our own domain. One of the things we really wanted to do with this website, which as of when this podcast comes out, is up and running and may still need some Some adjustments. Some adjustments, but it it works. One thing we really wanted is we have a lot of episodes. Yeah, over 120, or this is number 128 right here. Well, technically it's 140 when you count the sidetracks. Oh, that's true. Of Of this podcast. And then there's like 280, I think, of... Weekly hijacks. Weekly hijacks. Might be even more than that because we use some funky numbering system early on. In any case, what this means is that we're trying to make it way ways that you can search for different types of like, oh, I want to listen to all the pun times. Because everyone loves pun times. Pun times. Or like when was the last time they talked about now, some of the special detail we'll have to, you know, we'll have to keep working on it and you can help us. Yeah, we're, um, we're work to improve the tags and the search functions, but we're trying to make it in a way that our back catalog is a lot easier to hunt through, search through, find specific things. And um, even with the hijack, 
now you can it's easier to find certain seasons together mm-hmm. it was kind of all over the place sometimes like yeah if, you, if you're looking for like right now if you're looking for babylon 5 on our weekly hijack just the podcast feed you're gonna have to scroll past a lot of lost and if you want to watch listen to all of lost you gotta scroll to the beginning and then skip several years <laughs> yeah that's true because we did the first two seasons and then waited like four years before we did the rest. So we're hoping, uh, go check out uh, derailedtrainsofthought.com. That's it, derailedtrains.com. And, derailed tra- sorry, po- derailedtrainsofthought.com. We, we couldn't get the derailed trains. Check it out, poke around. If there's something that seems broken, email us. We're still, it's still in process of figuring it out. And because we have this news website, then there's some other new things in the future that this was kind of the, you know, hopefully the first step of. Yes. And this has been a first step we've wanted to do for a long time. Like even before we get the logo, honestly, I think, I feel like we've been talking about doing this before 20, like back way back in 2019. It was a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. It's been maybe even 2018. We've been wanting to do something like this and we need to do a logo and I had to get married and things like that. Stuff <laughs> like that. So yeah. So if you've noticed anything weird with the feeds or with the website, please tell us because we've been trying to fix all the bugs that we can find, but I'm sure someone will break it and sure. we'll have to figure it out. So, yay! We're we're excited. I hope, hope you will enjoy looking through all our old episodes. Yeah. 22 years, we're in the 21st century. Yeah, that's right. Meanwhile, um, you can also leave us a comment. I guess there's places to leave comments. There. Each, I don't even know. On each episode? Each episode you can, yes. Just cool. like you always kill it. Now, comments does not transfer over. Oh, that's true. So we'll have to deal with that. So we have new. Well, we don't know if we need to transfer no, no, it all. Yeah. But the blog spot will leave that site up there, but that will probably not get updated anymore. No, but it will be there for archival sake. Yep. But of course, you can always email us at derailedtrains at gmail You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Please subscribe to us on various podcatchers and tell all your friends and family and pets. Is there a new one to tell them about? Or um, we're on Overcast. And okay. I believe we're now on Pocket Cast. Okay. And Stitcher and Spotify. Yeah. And YouTube. So, you've been updating a lot of the YouTubes. Yes. Uh, we've been updating a lot of YouTubes. Hopefully by this we sh- by the time this episode comes out, we'll have at least through episode 100, probably more. I've been managing to keep it pretty faithful, loading a new episode every day, um, which means probably we'll be completely caught up by mid-May. So nice. It's coming Very along. Good. All right. So for my time, before we bow out of here. Yes. And, your uh, soundtrack. Yes. I decided to go pick a hero and pick a, a literal anti-hero. So, Mario, everyone loves Mario. Wario is basically the evil version. <laughs> the evil doppelganger. Yeah. Yep. And he had a couple games, which I think I played once in the, on the Game Boy, one of them. Okay. But this is from Wario Land 2. It's called Syrup Secret Stash, and it's remixed by Maxo. And it's just kind of funky and fun. And interestingly, I remember this from a long time ago. I'm like... Wario, I remember a song. So, <laughs> well, nice. Well, Nick, I'm hearing a lot of the explosions down the streets. The, I, I, I hear a giant roar. Yeah, yeah, like yeah I thought I saw something over there. Chaos is breaking out here in Moss Espa. I'm not sure we want to be a part of it. No, no, because only bad things happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, as far as we know. So, we should probably get out of here. All right. Well, guys, take care. Adios. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Tim. This is Nick. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you.